Dianne Feinstein is really a towering figure in the Senate. That's undeniable. She's sort of one of those people who has this long list of firsts, you know, first female mayor of San Francisco, first female senator from California, first female senator to be on this committee or that committee. Liz Goodwin covers Congress for The Post. And Liz says it's actually Feinstein's spot on one of those committees, the Senate Judiciary Committee, that's creating real problems for the senator and her Democratic colleagues. Back in February, Feinstein got sick with shingles. She hasn't been at work since. And sure, Liz says, we've seen medical issues keep senators from their work plenty of times. But... The reason why her absence is so notable is she is the tie-breaking vote on the Senate Judiciary Committee for Democrats. The war around judicial nominations in Congress is getting more and more intense. Republicans want to remake the balance of judges across the country. Democrats want to push through as many Biden nominations as they can. And Feinstein's absence leaves those nominees stalled. So in the past few weeks, some liberals starting in kind of the grassroots level and then trickling up to a few Democratic members of the House have been calling on her to retire as her absence stretches on and as her staff does not provide a timeline for her return. And that set off a whole debate around um, sexism, ageism, (laughs) um, the norms of the Senate that's kind of consumed the place the past week. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Chris Velasco, your guest host. It's Thursday, April 27th. Today, as Dianne Feinstein's colleagues call on her to resign, we look at what her absence means for the future of the Senate Judiciary Committee and what this critical moment could mean for Feinstein's legacy. So Feinstein has been absent from her job since February, and that sparked this current call for her to resign. But it seems like people have been thinking about whether Feinstein should remain in her seat for a while now, right? Yeah, so she faced a lot of pressure the past couple years over the decision of whether she was going to run for re-election. You know, she's 89 years old, but she was not ruling out running for another six-year term. I think that was making a lot of Democrats nervous and and conversations about that that had been private were kind of moving more into the public sphere. And a few candidates even announced their candidacy before Senator Feinstein said, okay, fine, I'm not running at 90 years old for a six-year term, um, including Adam Schiff. I have an announcement to make, as you may have seen. I'm running for the U.S. Senate in California. Um, I believe that we're in a critical time in the history of our country when our democracy is still very much at risk. Adam Schiff is one of three pretty prominent House Democrats who are trying to replace Dianne Feinstein, kind of made his name on the Intel Committee in the House uh, investigating Donald Trump, ties to Russia. But she did uh, ultimately decide not to run for re-election, and I think... Then when, you know, when she said, "Okay, I'm not going to run, but I am going to serve out my term, um, that kind of led to a detente um, that had been functioning until she was no longer in Washington and was holding up um, some of these key votes. 
So people are clearly willing to step up if that's necessary. But you mentioned ageism and sexism before. You know, what are the arguments people are making uh, in favor of, you know, Feinstein resigning her post? So the major argument people started making was that at this point, the House and the Senate are split. The House is under Republican control. There's not a lot that Democrats can get done aside from moving President Biden's, you know, judicial nominations and other nominations. And with Feinstein's absence, especially the fact that there hasn't been a timeline provided for her return, they're not saying like, hey, give us a month or give us two weeks. It's it's just very open-ended right now. And so uh, the people who started calling on her to resign last week were saying, you know, this isn't okay. It's not okay for Biden not to get judges through on the district court level, on the circuit court level, when we have a district court judge out in Texas saying that FDA-approved abortion pill maybe is illegal now. Uh, These decisions matter. This is one concrete thing Democrats can do to help when Congress is divided. This this is too big of a deal. This is bigger than one individual. Uh, This situation is untenable. Uh, So that's what you hear from people like Ro Khanna. Senator Feinstein has basically missed 75% of her votes this year. Today, the Judiciary Committee was unable to move on five judges that President Biden had nominated uh, because Senator Feinstein was absent. She's simply unable to do her duty on a very important committee, the Judiciary Committee, uh, at a time when when we we need her. And it became kind of a crescendo. The pressure built to the point that Senator Feinstein, who doesn't give up things easily, you know, it's hard to be kind of this pathbreaking, you know, first woman everything without being pretty hard charging about holding on to <laughs> power and holding on to what you earn. But, you know, the, the pressure had built so much so that they uh, released a statement that said, you know, I, I can be replaced on the committee temporarily. You know, Chuck Schumer, how about you just switch me out with another Democrat until I get back? I don't know when that is. I'm hoping it's soon. So in terms of the mechanics of this situation, number one, is that possible? Could someone replace her? And even if that's true, what's your sense of how likely that is? Yeah, so I think when that statement first came out, even people who, like, followed the Senate pretty closely, some some aides, reporters, I think most of our first instinct was sort of like, okay, well, that sounds easy enough. I guess, you know, Leader Schumer will just toss out a name and then, you know, they'll, um, they'll approve it and then the problem's kind of solved, actually. The political pressure's going to go away and maybe Feinstein gets out of this. But one thing that you can't underestimate in the Senate is when it comes to judges, things always get more complicated than you think. Normally, committee assignments, they're so uncontroversial, we don't even notice that they pass because Mm -hmm. Schumer, whoever, McConnell, the leader at the time, will just say, oh, you know, here's my organizing resolution. This is who's on what committee. Does anyone object? And no one objects because it's just so mundane. Uh, But actually, if someone does object, it takes, like almost everything in the Senate, 60 votes um, to let someone go on a committee or officially assign someone to a committee. 
Speaking on the Senate floor, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell quickly turned his attention to Democrats and their attempt to temporarily replace a senator in the Senate Judiciary Committee, saying Republicans will oppose the move. So once um, it became clear that, you know, Republicans felt like this idea of temporarily replacing her was just, let you know, having them lose their leverage over these judicial nominees, they started quickly organizing around opposing it. And even more moderate Republicans like Susan Collins said they were not going to support this. And the plan just kind of fell apart pretty quickly over the course of the week. So let's be clear. Senate Republicans will not take part in sidelining a temporary absent colleague off a committee just so Democrats can force through their very worst nominees. So now that Republicans are basically blocking this potential fix, you know, where does this leave the Democratic Party if Feinstein continues to just hang on to her seat? Yeah, it basically leaves them where they were before, which is a lot of liberals are unhappy with this, especially in California. Dozens of liberal groups just sent her a letter asking her to resign again. Um, The pressure is still definitely there. One slight change in the dynamic is that Republicans um, did let some judges go through the committee as sort of a gesture of, oh, things are still working. We're not blocking everyone. So seven judges were voted out, you know, with Republican support. So things aren't 100 percent stalled. There's some waiting for a floor vote on the Senate where her vote might be necessary. And there's other times where, you know, maybe Joe Manchin and John Tester, some of the Democrats in red states can't vote for something um, politically or decide not to support something that Democrats want, and they actually might need that tie-breaking vote from Senator Feinstein. So I think it's just a matter of what the next pressure point is. It could be the fact that Justice Roberts has been called to appear in front of the Judiciary Committee to talk about ethics concerns following the Clarence Thomas um, reports about his own conflict of interest, relationship with Harlan Crow, the billionaire. Democrats tonight are calling for stricter ethics rules for Supreme Court justices following a report that shows Justice Clarence Thomas accepted millions of dollars worth of luxury vacations over several decades from a Republican megadonor. The tab was covered by his longtime close friend, wealthy Republican donor Harlan Crow. There might be pressure then for them to escalate and subpoena him, and they don't have the votes for a subpoena without Senator Feinstein. So you could imagine, you know, that could be another kind of pressure point that boils up on this. After the break, we dig into Feinstein's long career in the Democratic Party and what accusations about her mental acuity mean for an aging Senate. We'll be right back. All right, Liz, let's let's step back a little bit here and help people understand a little bit more about Dianne Feinstein outside of the news. You know, we've talked about her reputation as a Democratic senator a bit, but sort of unpack for us a bit more if you can, just sort of the legacy that she has kind of left for herself so far and, and sort of where her career in the Senate has taken her. 
Yeah, I think Senator Feinstein has a really storied legacy, just inarguably, whether you like her or you don't like her. Tonight, history is being made. In California, two women will be elected to the Senate of the United States. She's the first female senator from California. This is perhaps the most important intelligence operation I've seen in my 10 years on the Intelligence Committee. The first woman to chair the Senate Intelligence Committee. And, you know, she's had a lot of huge legislative um, moments, such as the assault weapons ban back in the 90s. It's crystal clear to me that people are going to be better off without these weapons. Her role on Senate Intel became a huge deal when she decided to release information about torture programs. In contrast to CIA representations, detainees were subjected to the most aggressive techniques immediately. Stripped naked, diapered, physically struck, and put in various painful stress positions for long periods of time. She's sort of been a path-breaking female figure for a long time. She has really deep relationships on both sides of the aisle. She probably has some of the strongest relationships with Republican members of any Democratic senator. She did push really hard to get where she is, and I think that's kind of part of why it can be tough to get her to step away from certain roles as she's gotten older and as questions have emerged about her mental acuity, which, um, you know, she forcefully pushes back on. But it's been like a, a slow process of um, getting her to let go. And I think a lot of Democrats breathed like a sigh of relief when she wasn't going to try to run for her seat again in 2024. Um, but now... Everyone's just back to square one with that, um, given her her absence. I mean, the mental acuity thing has come up a lot. I believe when Ro Khanna sort of called on Feinstein to resign, he sort of invoked the idea that people have been kind of worried about that issue for quite some time now. Can you sort of unpack what he's talking about and how long people have actively discussed whether she's mentally fit for the job? In recent years, you know, some of the most notable shifts in her demeanor. One is that, you know, she really she always has an aide or two or three around her when she's walking around the Senate because in the Senate you get swarmed by reporters if you're going to a vote or leaving a vote and we're sort of annoyingly asking a lot of questions. And um, as the years have gone on, uh, Senator Feinstein has been much more likely to make mistakes uh, when she's answering questions to the point where reporters pretty much know, you know, if you ask her something, you should run it by her staff, um, and then often they'll correct it, you know, in an email. And it, there's just something, you know, striking about not feeling like you can necessarily quote a senator about, you know, what what time is a hearing happening or what, um, you know, what are, how are you going to vote on an issue without checking with staff. Part of why the mental acuity discussion is so sensitive is that um, Feinstein has had a lot of critics, you know, long before there were questions about that. 
She's often tangled with the left and, like, liberals in her party for being too centrist. She's also faced heat from the right over, you know, her pioneering work on the assault weapons ban. So she's she's no stranger to controversy in general, but I think there were feelings among some of her allies, uh, which do include Republicans, that she was being pushed aside by Democrats who who saw her as too centrist. And sometimes the discussions would kind of be mixed together, you know, because when she was in line to chair the Judiciary Committee, liberals were completely furious over her sort of hugging Lindsey Graham after the Amy Coney Barrett Supreme Court hearing, you know, her saying that went so well. This has been one of the best set of hearings that I've participated in. It leaves one with a lot of hopes a lot of questions, and even some ideas, perhaps some good bipartisan legislation we can put together to make this great country even better. So thank you so much for your leadership. Where, you know, you have liberals saying, oh my gosh, like a Supreme Court seat was stolen from us by Mitch McConnell, and um, the idea was that we were going to wait till after the election for the election to decide this judge, and now Um, You know, they're rushing to fill this seat before an election. There was just so much anger that she really didn't relate to. But at the same time, around then is also when there were questions emerging about, you know, how up for this job is she mentally. It doesn't seem like these questions are going to disappear anytime soon, but When it comes to next steps, you know, is there a precedent for this kind of situation? I mean, you mentioned yourself, Senate is not exactly the youngest body in the world. There surely must have been other lawmakers who have had to take an extended leave of absence because of medical issues. You know, what's happened in those cases? Yeah, this is not uncommon at all. Ted Kennedy took months and months long absences when he was dealing with cancer at the end of his life. Um, Strom Thurmond was famously, you know, serving to the age of 100 and being wheeled around and living in Walter Reed. There's no shortage of examples. And as her allies point out, a lot of them are were male senators, right, who just took incredibly long times to recover or served in their seat for way past an age or level of ability that a reasonable person would think that uh, someone would be serving. And, you know, they they weren't really subject to a ton of criticism. And I think it's possible that with the Feinstein situation, if judges haven't be- hadn't become such a political hot potato and such a focus of both the right and the left, it's possible that that would happen for her as well, especially since she's not running for re-election. Um, but the, this unique situation where she is the tie-breaking vote on this committee has added to Uh, the controversy. You know, to your point about people's responses to this, I I was reading that Nancy Pelosi, among other people certainly, have have said that there's kind of a double standard here, right? Like lawmakers wouldn't ask a male politician to resign amid a health crisis. We've seen this play out with people like John Fetterman pretty recently. You know, what's, what's your sense of the role sexism is kind of playing in this particular case? Yeah, I do think that's a critique that is hitting a nerve with um, a lot of Female senators in particular, Susan Collins, has also echoed that point of, you know, would people be asking her to retire if she were a man? And is she not getting the same leeway that her male colleagues have and and um, are right now? 
part of the job of, you know, covering the Senate is you're sort of trying to ambush senators and lawmakers and get them on the record on on these issues. And I spoke to Ro Khanna about some of the charges that his critique of Senator Feinstein was sexist, which is what, you know, Pelosi was saying. This is about uh, Senator Feinstein's ability to, to do the job. And it's not, these questions were, were raised uh, about men as well. Uh, people have questioned uh, uh, other long-term uh, the senators that were men and why they're, they're there. So I, I think it has to do with uh, the ability to do the job. I do think in in Feinstein's case, it's a pretty unique situation because she is this tie-breaking vote on the Judiciary Committee where, you know, judges cannot move without her there. Her absence is stalling things in a way that Fetterman's wasn't, that McConnell's wasn't. There's kind of a unique impact to her not being there. And then I think the other piece of it is just that she's already said she's retiring. She's not um, running for re-election. And I think that, especially in California, people feel like if you can't do the job right now and you are retiring anyway, why wouldn't you just um, step aside and and have someone go in who who can do the job? Yeah, and that raises an interesting question to me, which is who who are the people eager for Feinstein to keep her seat? So I think her biggest allies right now in some ways are Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden. Uh, Biden and Feinstein go way back. He recruited her to be on the Judiciary Committee when he was in the Senate. And he also faces a lot of, you know, delicate age-related questions <laughs> that he he's kind of the last person in Washington who would say, you know, oh, maybe it's time for you to step aside. You're, you're 89. Uh, the White House has been very supportive, saying she should get all the, you know, time and space she needs not raising any of these sort of delicate questions that some other Democrats are about, like, you know, listen, we need a timeline, or suggesting the patients will run out at some point. So Biden has made clear that, you know, he's behind her, and, and that matters a lot. Uh, and then I think Pelosi being so in her corner is also very influential, uh, you know, in Washington, but also in California She's a big ally of Schiff's, who's running to replace Feinstein. So that whole faction of Democrats is really not pushing this. So Feinstein has said that she is not running for re-election in 2024. And we've already talked a bit about her legacy and what she's achieved so far in, in what feels like a very illustrious career in the Senate. But with this kind of hanging over her head, what does all of this say about the legacy that she stands to leave behind now? I think that's a, a good question. It's one that people who want her to retire are sort of pushing, that this could damage her legacy, essentially, if she um, holds out too long and if she's, you know, standing in the way of um, judicial nominations. Um, and I think it really depends on how long this drags out for. You know, she has said she wants to be back soon. Senator Schumer said he talked to her and she's, you know, raring to go and, um I think if that's true and she makes her way back or if it's not true and she steps aside, there's still a lot of ways this could get resolved. I think for sure it's hard to deny that if um, if she ends up, as she said in her statement, working from home, 
uh, for an extended period of time, and and uh, the Democratic agenda is stalling out judicially in the meantime, that would be kind of a, a sad end note. Liz, thanks for breaking all of this down with me. Thanks for having me on. Liz Goodwin covers Congress for The Post. Today, the Senate Judiciary Committee advanced one Biden-nominated judge out of its committee. But six more judges are still awaiting the panel's approval and so far lack bipartisan support. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by Ariel Plotnik and edited by Rena Flores. It was mixed by Sean Carter. If you enjoyed listening to us today, think about leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us understand what you're looking for out of the news and how to make this show even better. I'm Chris Velasco. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.